Alrighty guys, so this is post Dusty coming in hot here for a second before we get this episode started. In a little bit you're gonna hear me say like, oh I tried to find, you know, I found well, let me rewind. You're gonna hear me in a second say that I found some like tapes of Ed Gein talking. Well most of the Audio was absolutely trash, and I could only pull two minutes of it, and I put it when he got caught. So it's not going to be sprinkled throughout the episode like I say here in a second, but it's going to come when he gets captured. I'm going to insert it there, and you'll be able to hear him actually talk to the police and what he said. It's not that good of audio. I'm just going to let you know it's going to be it might be a little hard to hear for me. It was kind of difficult to hear and I had to actually kind of watch it with subtitles. But I'm you can catch most of it, so I'm still going to put it in here just for you guys. So, sorry that the auto audio is bad. I just yeah, I didn't want to leave it out. So, enjoy the rest of the show. I watched the late news at 10 o'clock, and the Newsman said that there had been a murder in Plainfield, but they didn't say who or what kind or anything. So I ran across this, just the little driveway and asked Irene if she knew anything about it. And she said, yes, that uh, it was Mrs. Worden that was killed. And she said, you'll never guess who they picked up. And I said, well, who was that? She said, Eddie Gein. And um, we couldn't, either one of us, believe that he would hurt anybody. And that was really all she knew. So we discussed it and we just knew Eddie wouldn't hurt a fly. So I went home and locked my door for the first time in years. <laughs> yes, my mama eat you like Jeff Dahmer. Say she on a period, let's make a mess, mama. I desensitize myself to it. I, 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 uh... I don't know, I went to great lengths. Never did I. Knew it would be this easy. Had a month that shit greasy. Yeah, be the nigga shit cheesy. People said to get my corner when I turn around. Oh, it's just measy. Everybody wanna get away from me because I got heebie-jeebies masked up like Michael. That game on the Halloween. What would you do with the sexual parts? I wouldn't make the audience or anything. How long ago did this start, so? Anything you cancel, bro. I'm fixated on asphyxiating and breaking this little chick's neck like a pixie stick. The sick Satan worshiping bitches get horse whippings. I'm in the back, through the back door, slipping through the crack, leaving the corpse, dripping the mortician of love. Sent from above, forced and treat her more. When she the more stingy, I become. Been doing this for more than a quarter century. I'm just numbing my dreaming. Is it real? Someone pinch me on the buns. Do you feel blame? Are you mad? Uh, do you feel like Wolf's Kebab's right for Ennis? Get Ennis, Boots, 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 Welcome back to the Rainy Day Horror Show. I'm Big Daddy D, and you're listening to the number one podcast on the internet and 
on today's Serial Killer Sunday episode, we're going to Wisconsin. We're taking a trip to Plainfield to learn about a serial killer that has given numerous directors in the movie industry inspiration. We're talking about Ed Gein, the blank plane, what? The Plainfield Butcher. Is graphic, is crazy, and you will enjoy this episode. So, without further ado, I am going to introduce your host for this evening's show, Dusty McBalls, aka your certified cougar hunter and your host with the most. Now sit back, shut up, and enjoy this gruesome episode. Thank you, Big D, for that beautiful little intro. And like he said, for this Serial Killer Sunday episode, we have Ed Gein. And it is a lot more crazy than I thought it was, if I'm being honest. But another weird thing about Ed Gein is that um, we're going to get into it, but technically... He wasn't a serial killer because he was only convicted of one killing, I think, from what I could remember. But we're going to jump into it. It's, it's, it's weird. It, it, it's a weird, weird case. He's a weird serial killer. Well, alleged serial killer. Because I was always told, and from what I looked online, serial killers are usually charged with three plus murders. And usually it spans between like over a month and between like 10 years or something fucking wild like that. But this one's weird. It's just a really, really weird case and just a weird serial killer in general because he also pioneered like unintentionally a lot of horror movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock, and then Silence of the Lambs. So it's... It's it's weird. This is going to be a weird, weird episode. And throughout this episode, I looked online briefly and I did find some interviews that he was in. But it's a lot of rare footage because this took, you know, this took place so long ago. So it's not going to be as heavily influenced like it was with our last serial killer and like how it was with Ed Kemper. So... Just going to point that out there. I'm going to try and sprinkle in some, to, you know, so you can hear what he said during these interviews. But without further ado, we're going to jump into it right away here. And we're going to get this show on the road. So, sit back. Well, don't sit back. Put those Crocs on because it's going to be a fucking adventure. All right? Let's just 
do this fucking thing. Now, Edward Theodore Gain was born on August 27th in 19... I almost said 1606. That's funny. In 1906 to Augusta and George Gain in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Sir Edward was the second child to join the Gein family after his brother, Henry, who was seven years older than him. Now, Eddie's mom, Augusta, was a religious woman, like most people in this series. They do come from a very religious background, and she raised her boys with an extremely strict, like, Christianity moral code, I guess is what you would say. Augusta would religiously teach her children about the Bible. She would warn her sons that women are, and this is according to her, quote unquote vessels of sin. And she would tell them this, hoping to discourage any sexual desires that the boys might have had. She also made her boys believe that the world was full of evil. But she was a bitch. Like a major, major bitch. And I found like probably one of the bitchiest women that we've ever had on this channel. Like throughout researching Ed Gein and his whole life and everything, I wanted to strangle her at so many fucking points throughout just everything like Augusta was a very domineering woman and she believed that her views on this world this planet especially in the US she thought they were 100% true and accurate and nothing could defy her decisions thoughts and views she had no issue whatsoever imposing her beliefs on her children, or her husband. Which brings us to George, the father of Henry and Ed, and the husband to the bitch Augusta. Now, George wasn't the strong-willed gentleman, but he was an alcoholic. And a fine one at that. Now, there's very little known about George and from what I could research there wasn't a whole lot on him but from what I could find is that he couldn't really hold down a job and he never had a say when it came to raising the children the kids Ed and Henry George was constantly abused verbally by Augusta and Augusta allegedly saw him as a quote-unquote worthless creature. And I saw it fit, well, sorry, not I, and she, Augusta, saw it fit to raise the children herself and to financially support the family. In 1906, the year that Edward was born, Augusta opened up her own grocery store in La Crosse, which brought in enough money for her to support everyone. And then, after working hard and saving money for eight straight years, Augusta was able to move the family out of La Crosse 
1914, where they then moved to Plainfield, Wisconsin. And according to her, the reason she want outed, she wanted not wanted, not want outed, she wanted out of lacrosse was because she saw the city being filled with sinners and even calling it at one point a sinkhole of filth. Now listen people, okay, and specifically my viewers in lacrosse. I'm not saying this, okay? I didn't say that you guys are a filthy shithole, okay? That's not coming from my mouth. I am just saying what Augusta Gein is, well, well, what she said because she's dead now, but I just want you guys to know that I am quoting her, so please don't get upset with me. This is coming from Augusta Gein. Once the Gein family moved to Plainfield, they decided to buy a farm that came with 195 acres outside of the town of Plainfield. And this specific farm was very, very secluded. And the reason Augusta bought such an isolated farm was that the evil influences of Plainfield couldn't get their little stubby hands and influence Edward or Henry, especially since, you know, their only neighbor was a quarter mile of the way, quarter mile away. Sorry, I hit the microphone and it threw me off. So this was a really, really secluded farm. And the only time that these kids were ever allowed to leave this house and go to the city was when they had to go to school. Other than that, the children were basically forced to stay at this tiny farmhouse. Now, Eddie was an average student, but he did excel in one aspect of school, and that was reading. As a young boy, he loved to read adventure books and magazines. However, like every other serial killer that we have covered on this show, he was unfortunately bullied by his classmates. Eddie's classmates would shun him because he was a mama's boy, he would act in more of a feminine way, and was extremely shy. Ed also had no friends as a kid, and whenever he would make a friend, his mother Augusta, the fucking bitch, would put an end to that f- friendship immediately, and she would just scold him to like not be a normal kid, I guess. And even though he had this rigid lifestyle, Growing up, he still followed his mother's orders and adored her to the point that it became incestual. And I'm not even joking. Okay, it might not show right now, but it will later on in this story. And even though Ed stuck to his mother's very strict rules, she was never satisfied with how much, like, him, well, 
him as in Ed, and Henry would try to please her. Augusta would frequently verbally abuse them by saying they were going they were going to be failures just like their father. So, as Ed and Henry grew up throughout their teen years and into early, well, into their early adulthood, they remained basically detached from reality. Now, well, not like reality, but from everybody that was outside of their farmhouse. And they really only hung out with each other, which made Ed and Henry very close. And Ed eventually looked up to his older brother and saw him as a man of strong character who worked really hard even after their father had died in 1940. Once their father had passed away, Ed and Henry then decided to take on a series of odd jobs to basically help out their mother and make ends meet. The two boys worked as a handyman and they were actually really good at what they did that the townspeople within Plainsfield considered them to be extremely reliable and trustworthy. Other than being a handyman, Ed would also take on babysitting jobs and for some reason, which is kind of creepy, but he loved babysitting the kids. Like, I like kids as much as the next person, but it's going to get weird. This is going to get really, really weird with these kids and what he, what he allegedly does to them. Trust me, you're going to want to sit back in your chair for this one. And the reason that he loved being a babysitter so much is that he thought it was easier to relate to children than his peers since most of the people that were his age and knew him throughout, you know, school and shit like that, they thought he was emotionally and socially retracted. Now I say retracted because the sources called him retarded and I don't feel like getting targeted or dividing people and sending hate everywhere. So we're going to use retracted in this statement. It was also around this time that Henry started to notice that Ed had a really, really weird attachment to their mother. On several occasions, Henry had openly called out their mom on their like, like biblical bullshit. And I say biblical bullshit, not like to degrade anybody that studies religion, but like he was questioning his mother's beliefs and didn't quite agree with her. So he would call her out on that specific topic. And this shocked Sir Edward since he saw his mother as pure goodness and he was mortified that his brother would even question her beliefs and not see her in the same way that Ed had saw her saw Ed had seen her in. There we go. That sounds better. Which leads us into our very first death in this story. Now, allegedly, and I can't stress this enough, allegedly, and depending on what source you are looking at, Ed may or may not have killed 
Henry in 1944. In that year, in the month of May, Edward and Henry were clearing out some vegetation within their field by burning it. Well, as they were burning this brush, eventually the fire got a little bit out of hand and started heading toward their farmhouse. Now, according to the police, the two boys separated and went off into two different directions to try and contain this fire and put it out, basically. But this fire was so big that it went from day to night in a very quick succession. And as nightfall had approached, Ed lost sight of his brother amongst the flames as he's trying to fight off this fire. But thankfully, eventually, Eddie was able to put out the fire, but couldn't find his missing brother. And as the minutes ticked by, Eddie kept looking and wasn't able to find him, so he decided to call the police and notify them about his missing brother. And once the police were notified, they organized a search party and headed out to the, to the Gaines farm. That sounds so weird, but they headed out to the farm. I just burped. But something was really odd about this incident. Because when the police had arrived, Ed was waiting outside. Normal. That's normal. I'd wait outside for the police too. And when the police approached Ed, he then led them to the quote unquote missing boy, which is Henry. And this concerned police because they were told from the dispatcher that Ed didn't find his brother. Couldn't find him whatsoever. Now, I understand that possibly he could have found them, found him after he called the police and he decided to go back out there and look and search. But I don't know. None of the sources really pointed to that happening. So I would assume that's what happened. But I don't have any resources or anything to back that up. Now, as he showed them his dead brother after he led them there, this incident further creeped out the authorities because Henry's body was found dead in an area where the fire didn't even touch. The police also found Henry with bruises on his head. Now, I don't know if the police in this era of time were just stupid or if Ed just put up a really, really good facade and was able to manipulate them, but the police didn't suspect foul play and they didn't believe Ed murdered his brother because he was so shy and so well-liked within the community. After Henry's body was identified and investigated, the cops then loaded up his lifeless corpse and shipped him off to the coroner where, he, where his cause of death was labeled as an asphyxiation, which would explain the bruising on his head. After Henry's death, 
Ed basically had his mom all to himself, which I think was a part of the plan. Okay. I think he, I do really think he intentionally murdered his brother just by the way the police found him. And you don't have to really be a rocket scientist to figure out what the fuck could have happened. But I do believe that since Henry was questioning his mom's belief and I didn't like that, I did think he did try to get rid of his brother to have his mom all to himself. But that was short-lived because she would die on December 29th in 1945 after a series of strokes. And after Augusta died, all hell broke loose within Ed's little deranged brain. According to Harold Schechter, who is the author of Deviant, explained that Ed had lost his only friend and his one true love. Now, he was absolutely alone in the world. Not only was he alone, but he also had to take care of the farm. And he remained at this farm after her death, where he made ends meet by still doing small odd jobs. But when he wasn't doing those jobs, Ed decided to remodel his fucking farmhouse. By board, and it gets weird, trust me, this is where a little bit of the incestual part comes in. He boarded off rooms that his mother used and preserved them as a shrine to honor her. And these rooms went untouched for years. And since this house was mostly boarded off from within, Ed mainly stayed on the main level where he took residency in a room that was right next to the kitchen. And after he finished remodeling his home, he got into some weird fucking hobbies, like really, really weird. He would spend most of his time reading about Nazi medical experiments. He would study human anatomy, consume the grand pornography. He would read horror novels and would take nightly trips to the nearby graveyards. And if this isn't bad enough, it gets even fucking worse. When he would go and babysit the local children, sometimes he would tell them stories or he would tell them about the stories that he would read and was reading. Especially when he learned how to make shrunken heads but get this his favorite thing to read out of all of the stuff that he was reading was the obituaries that were posted in the local newspaper and it was from these obituaries that eddie would learn about the recent deaths of women within his local area which then prompted him to go and visit their graves at night since he never enjoyed the company of a woman. Yes, he would go to their graves, dig them up, and lay with them. I'm not even kidding, okay? 
And after his capture, he would later tell, not reporters, he would later tell police that he never had any sexual encounters with any of these dead women that he had exhumed. However, he did tell them, oh, this is going to, if you get queasy, you might want to just turn down the volume a little bit, okay? He would peel their skin off of their bodies to wear it. And to get even more crazy, he would also tell them that he would cut off their breasts and remove their vaginas because he wondered what it was like to be a woman. He also said that he often dreamt about being a female and that he was fascinated with women because of their power over men. But that's... uh, That's not all. Allegedly, before Ed was caught and convicted, he had already acquired multiple body parts and on one specific occasion well not one two i messed up my notes the first occasion a boy that ed would babysit decided to come visit him at his farm and this is fucking weird because when the boy arrived at ed gein's farm ed decided to bring the boy to his bedroom on the main level to show him his collection of shrunken heads that Ed claims were from the South Seas and were relics from headhunters. Now, after this incident and this experience, this boy basically ran away from Ed's house, completely terrified, and went to tell his parents about what Ed had shown him. And unfortunately, this poor boy's story was quickly dismissed and chalked up to just a young kid having a very wild and vivid imagination. But this poor boy wasn't lying because shortly after that, two other boys decided to pay Ed a visit and they also saw the same, well, the same two heads that the first boy saw. But these two boys thought nothing of it because they were assuming that it was just a weird Halloween decoration. These two boys then also ran back home, told their parents about these weird shriveled heads that were in Ed Gein's house, and since their story lined up with the first boy's story, rumors started to circulate surrounding Ed Gein and his weird objects. But still, no one thought nothing of it, and people often joked with Ed about his shrunken head collection but they really should have taken it seriously because maybe it would have helped you know stop helped it would have helped stopped is that right that doesn't sound right but maybe it would have somehow stopped Ed Gein from you know 
killing people and getting other people involved within his death vice grips. Now, shortly after this incident, the next major thing that did happen was a lot of people started to vanish. During the late 1940s and up until the late 1950s, Wisconsin police started to have an increase in missing persons reports. There were four cases that particularly baffled the police. The first one was that of an eight-year-old girl named Georgia Weckler, who had disappeared coming home from school on May 1st, 1947. And after she went missing, hundreds of residents and police searched an area that was roughly 10 square miles of Jefferson, Wisconsin, hoping to find this young girl. But unfortunately, Georgia would never be seen or heard of, or not heard of, heard from ever again. There were no good suspects and the only evidence that the police had to go on were tiny, not tiny, I'm being illiterate now for some fucking reason, but were tire marks found near the place where Georgia was last seen. The tire marks, the, the what the fuck? The tire marks were that of a Ford. The case remained unsolved and wouldn't be opened up until years later when Ed Gein was convicted of murder. Another girl disappeared six, later, six years later in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and she was a 15-year-old named Evelyn Hartley, and she had been babysitting at the time that she was vanished. Evelyn's father repeatedly tried to phone, you know, Evelyn, and she was never picking up. Like, she would, he would call the house phone and expecting her to pick up because she was babysitting, she never answered. And this worried her dad to the point that he drove to the house that she was babysitting at and knocked on the door. Not just once, but repeatedly like a terrified father that he is. And unfortunately, nobody answered. And when he peered through one of the windows on the house, he could see one of his daughter's shoes and a pair of her eyeglasses on the floor. He then tried to enter the house, but all of the doors and windows were locked, except for one, the back basement window. It was at that window where he discovered bloodstains. And... Seeing that, obviously, he became extremely scared and petrified for his daughter. So he entered the house and through that window and discovered signs of a struggle. He then immediately contacted police. And when the police arrived at the house, they found more evidence of a struggle, including bloodstains on the grass leading away from the house, a bloody handprint on a neighboring house, footprints and the girl's other shoe on the basement floor. 
a regional search was conducted, but Evelyn was nowhere to be found. A few days later, police discovered some bloodied articles of clothing that did belong to Evelyn near a highway outside of La Crosse. But they couldn't find her. It was... Yeah, they just couldn't find her. It was way worse than what they had expected. And that would just be awful. Sorry, I got tripped up on that one because I just got done watching a documentary about... Is it like... I forgot the name of it, but it's on Netflix. Like, she is our mother or our mother of the mother of sins or something like that. It's a tragic case. And basically, this mom was part of like a mini cult and killed both of her kids. Bro, that shit fucks me up. Like, out of everything, it's just when a parent or like a child gets fucking hurt. Oh, I hate it. Fucking hate it. But unfortunately, well, in that case, I'm not going to say too much about it. So, mom got convicted, murdered both kids, blah, blah, blah. So, her trial is actually up in August. Me and Gabby might do an episode on that. I'll get back to you guys on that one. So, I'm not going to say anything say anything else about it. But it it's a crazy case and we might cover it. But yeah, it sucks that they couldn't find this girl or the other girl. And another... This is going to lead us into one of his actual victims that he got tried for, well, attempted to be tried for, if I'm remembering correctly. And this took place in the winter of 1954, and a Plainfield tavern keeper by the name of Mary Hogan mysteriously disappeared from her place of business. Police suspected foul play when they discovered blood on the tavern floor that trailed into the parking lot. Police also discovered an empty bullet cartridge on the floor. Police could only speculate about what might have happened to Mary because like the other four missing, well, sorry, three missing people. Three? How many people? I don't fucking know. Okay, the last couple, there we go, we'll settle with couple. The last couple people that have been missing, they had no bodies and very little useful evidence. The only other common tie among these cases was that all of the disappearance disappearances happened around or in Plainfield. Now, I'm going to jump ahead. Okay, because this case, in a sense, like how, you know, remember when I did Ed Kemper, I could go through each individual case and how he murdered them and stuff like that. Okay, I couldn't do that with this case. I'm taking a different approach in the writing of this case based on the research because I thought it was kind of interesting. I'm actually going to be telling the story through Ed Gein telling the police. Usually with researching this stuff, it goes early life, adult life, murders, and then conviction and stuff like that. So this is going to be a little weird. It's, it, it sounds confusing right now, 
but trust me, I'm going to link it all together and you're going to be like, oh, that's what he meant. So on November 17th in 1957, after the discovery of Bernie's warden's headless corpse and other gruesome artifacts in Eddie's house, police began an exhaustive search of the remaining parts of the farm and surrounding land. They believed that Eddie may have been involved in more murders like the ones that I just listed and that the bodies might be buried on his land. Possibly those of Georgia Weckler, Victor Travis, Ray Burgess, Evelyn Hartley, and Mary Hogan. Okay. Now I'm going to tell you who Bernice Warden is and what fucking happened to her. I just X'd out of my notes. Hold on. Give me two seconds. I apologize. So Warden was a 58 year old widow and she was the owner of that tavern and had last been seen at her store and her last customer of that night was none other than Ed Gein, who'd gone into the store to buy a gallon of antifreeze. Now, when the police went to Ed's farmhouse to investigate, they found terrible shit. They found really, really, really terrible shit. I'm kind of reiterating what I just said five seconds ago, so bear with me here. As soon as investigators stepped into Edgeen's house, they found Bernice Warden in the kitchen. She was dead, decapitated, and hung by her ankles from the rafters. There were also countless bones, both whole and fragmented, skulls impaled on his bedposts, and bowels and kitchen utensils, or not bowels, Fuck. <laughs> I meant bowls. They found skulls impaled on his bedposts and bowls and kitchen utensils made from skulls. Worse than the bones, however, were the household items that Ed had made from human skin. Authorities found chairs upholstered in human skin a wastebasket made of skin, leggings made from human leg skin, masks made from faces, and the infamous nipple belt, along with a pair of lips that were being used as a window shade drawstring. It gets worse. I'm a corset made of a female torso and a lampshade made from a human face. Along with the skin items, police found various dismembered body parts, including fingernails, four noses, and the genitals of nine different women. They also found the remains of Mary Hogan, a tavern keeper who had gone missing in 1954. I mixed up my two people. Okay, I apologize. I mixed up my two people. All right, so... After they saw this house of horrors, Edgeen 
admitted that he had collected most of the remains from the three local graveyards within Plainfield, which he started to visit two years after Augusta's death. He told police he'd gone to the graveyards in a daze looking for bodies that he, could, that he thought resembled his mother. Hold on to your seats again because it's going to get darker in about two seconds. Ed also explained why he did this. He told authorities that he wanted to create a woman's suit so that he could become his mother and crawl into her skin. Well, what parts would you take, Paul? The head and the uh, sexual organ. Yeah, but yeah. what would you do with the sexual parts? That was in. One was painted, they said. Oh, that one, uh, you know, uh, when they died, we got. I just put the paint over it. Is there anything you like, you know? Sure, so there's a bunch of photographers from the newspaper who want to take a picture. Do you want to take a picture? No, but what's not yet, we'll get to straighten them off. Would you enjoy it while you were doing it? That's the worst part of it. I mean, they didn't then. I moved better, like, you know, very restless. When you dig these graves up, you were. Kind of in the haze too, is that it? Uh, that's what I could do, just uh, uh, I'm good. And then one time you said you were trying to realize what you were doing and you covered her up without taking the thing. That's right. Well, then how would you, uh, what would you do with the head? That uh, must have been taken from uh, reading about in these magazines and everything, taking the deflection off like a headhunter. What would you do with the sexual parts? I wouldn't enjoy it or anything. How long ago did you start? Uh, like I say, what be four years. What would you do with the sexual parts? Uh, Fucking wild. That is the, I think that is the craziest thing that I've ever, that we've ever had on this channel of like someone physically saying to the police that's fucking unhinged to a level of unhingery that I never thought somebody could be unhinged like that is fucking wild and after you know they arrested him and talked to him he was sent to trial and was found not guilty by reasons of insanity in 1957 and then was sent to Central State Hospital for the criminally insane where he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. His, and while he was being at this asylum, his farmhouse mysteriously burned to the ground and let me look up a picture of his gravestone because i think there is something 
awful on his gravestone. Give me two seconds because it is... I just need... Before I want to say this, I need to make sure that it's... Oh, no. Yeah, I... Yeah, it's... It's fucking real. I think that... I think that's his real gravestone. I hope it's his... Oh, actually, I don't really hope it's his real gravestone. So, on his gravestone, allegedly... Under his name and above his, like, birth date and death date, three numbers are etched into his grave, okay? I don't need to say what those three numbers are, because if you know the paranormal and you know what three numbers deal with, you know, it's those three numbers. And, yeah, his, which is really weird because his farmhouse also mysteriously burned down. Now, I'm not connecting the dots. I'm not saying that's exactly what happened, but it's creepy. It's really, really eerie. Now, 10 years later, after he was sent to this insane asylum, Ed was deemed, well, redeemed, not like redeemed, not like he redeemed himself, but like he was like now able to, well, he was now able to be fit to strength, to stand trial. And he was ultimately convicted of the murder of Bernice, Bernice, not Bernice, Bernice Warden, but only her case. That's the only case they were able to tie him to. He was never tried for Mary Hogan's murder because the state of Wisconsin allegedly saw it as a waste of money. And because Ed was insane, they just, you know, wanted to keep him in the hospital and were like, fuck it, whatever, I guess. That's basically what I got through this research. They did not. He's like, well, we, we got him on one case He's going to be put away for life, doesn't fucking matter, which kind of sucks for the family of Mary. That, you know, just because it's a waste of time, that's, that's, or a waste of money, that's just, that's just, that's just stupid. But because of, you know, like I said earlier, of all those disappearances that happened around Plainfield and with the possible, well, him being able to be tied to Mary Hogan's death, but the state was just lazy. A lot of people question how many people did Ed Gein really kill. And if those like bodies that like those limbs and those faces and those other stuff that were found at his apartment, not apartment at his house. If they were truly, you know, from gravestones. Like if they're not gravestones, but if they were truly dug up from the graveyard, the only time that he would officially ever admit to who, like the people that he murdered was when he died in 1984 at the age of 77. And he actually admitted to murdering Warden and Hogan. The other bodies, and as what I could find, police found 40 
allegedly will put a quote around 40 because I saw from other sources that it was over 40 and other ones that it was, you know, around for so we'll just say around 40 within his home and like i said he claimed it was grave robbery grave robbery rob robbing robbery grave robbery but that's that's basically the story of ed Gein. he ended up dying in um that hospital that state hospital due to cancer now it is it is such a weird fucking thing, okay? Because he is such a prolific, quote-unquote, serial killer that he was able to give inspiration to a bunch of people for a bunch of horror movies, right? But he's, like, also not a whole lot is known about him. Like, when you cover his case, he could have murdered people, but he also couldn't be tied to those people so he only got convicted for two murders i don't know anybody else in the serial killer genre off the top of my head i could probably find it if i wanted to search for it that i could find or that i know of that are considered serial killers but only allegedly well according to him he did kill two people but but was only convicted of one I don't know truly if he did kill those other four people. He might not have, but he could have. So it's just, it's just, he's really, really weird. It is, it's one of those weird cases. And like I said, I had to jump ahead. I gave you the little brief thing on Bernice and when he went into her hardware store to buy some shit. But like, yeah, it's just weird that, like, they had no account of how this murder was, like, consistent, like, the consistent story behind it. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just wild. It's just crazy. He's, he's something else. It's kind of, he kind of reminds me of when we did H.H. Holmes because that was the same way, right? There was, like, no full account on his story and, like, what he truly had like I know I said some stuff that he had in his hotel but a lot of the sources they didn't have that in their fucking stories so this was like the same fucking way it was it's just it's just weird it's really weird doing some of these older serial killers it's difficult but then again yeah Ed Gein's a weird fucking dude such a weird dude Personally, I think Jeffrey Dahmer is the worst thing to happen to Wisconsin serial killer wise. And that's just because he brought a lot of racial protesting to his conviction. So, but that that's just that that's a topic for a different day. But it's just crazy, right? I think personally when I think of Wisconsin, I think of Dahmer, not Ed Gein. Okay, I think Ed Gein's basically the prelude to Jeffrey Dahmer. But if you want to take it from a horror sense and what, like, as a horror community as a whole, Ed Gein influenced so many horror movies, so many different things. Like, 
it's crazy to think about that he was able to give inspiration to three directors that made massive hits in the box office. Like, that's really mind-blowing to me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's just, it's just crazy. But that's going to do it for this episode. Um, I, don't, I still don't know what we're going to do today for our Halloween, or not our Halloween episode. That's still a few months out. I still don't know what we're going to do for our horror movie breakdown, but I'll figure it out. I'll find a good movie. We'll watch it. We'll have fun. And it'll be, yeah, it'll be a good time. So with that, Missouri, you're up next. And Copeland Killings, that's going to be fun. Sorry, I was about to close the episode, but I wanted to talk about the Copelands for a second. I'm psyched for that episode. That's going to be a good fucking episode. Okay, that's all I really wanted to say about them. So I'll see you guys tomorrow. All right. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. So remember, stay frosty, stay foxy. Most importantly, the most important thing on this planet. Stay safe, you beautiful peacocks. I love y'all. Deuces. <laughs> <laughs>